0: Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are finishing off the week with finishing up our ten big questions heading into the 2022 to 23 season. Gavin, what are we getting into to finish off this series today?
1: We're asking, you know, if if the Knicks had a therapist, this this would be the question they asked the Knicks. Alex, it would be Do, do you have an identity? Do you know who you are? And I don't know if they do, so we're going to explore that. And then uh, we will finish up uh, talking about uh, New York's favorite son, R.J. Barrett. So all that and more right now on Locked on Knicks.
0: You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. without a five. Ewing for the for 3 yeah. that one goes down back up the glass becomes infectious
1: becomes infectious
0: all right welcome in to locked on Knicks. we wanted to thank you for making Locked on, Nick's your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you guys making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf, I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at TheStrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. Clearly, I would not make a great play-by-play broadcaster myself, <laughs> and we are getting into... The final two big questions for the Knicks going into the 2022 to 23 season today, Gavin. And you said it in the intro, so let's do it again. We'll sit down on we'll sit the Knicks down on the the little half couch, yeah, <laughs> and do their therapy session. What is your first question to as we head into our final two here?
1: Do they know who they are? And I think <laughs> I think we're at a crucial juncture in in terms of that question. The, the answer says a lot about. Both the next past, present, and future. So when when Leon Rose and and this regime was brought in, there was a real dichotomy at play, right? Because there there was a promise of of patience, of meticulousness, of winning on the margins and taking time, accumulating assets, and then in turn uh, using the the star power of, of of Mr. CAA Leon Rose to attract some of his former clients. And combine that by having uh, one of the better assets or, or one of the better collections, excuse me, of draft picks and young players in the NBA. And in turn, you, you build a, a super team in relatively short time. But e- even even that identity, Alex, had had layers to it. It's like, all right, you want to draft well, you want to accumulate extra picks, but this isn't, nobody called this a rebuild. This isn't, this isn't the Knicks like finally doing the rebuild right. We're still trying to get those big names in here. We're still trying to do it quickly. And two years in, we've had, relatively mixed results on that, right? I mean, the first year was in, in some ways spectacular, and it was it was a real victory in the sense of like, oh, wow, they're, they're good, they're fun. Young players were, were playing a pretty major role in it. Like obviously RJ Barrett was essential to that team. Mitchell Robinson, I think at points, like right there with Julius Randle was, was the MVP of the team, completely carrying them on the defensive end of the floor. Um, you had Emmanuel quickly like lighting it up off the bench. Um, but then you fast forward a year later, the winning goes away. The young players who were supposed to take the next step until that the end of the season, they were not allowed to take that next step. Ovi Toppin was pretty much playing the same amount of time he was as a rookie. Emmanuel quickly, pretty much playing the same amount of time as he was as a rookie. RJ Barrett, for most of the season, still had to take a back seat to Julius Randle. So you come into the summer and you get a chance to quote unquote execute on that on that star chase, right? You accumulated these assets. The Utah Jazz says, all right, give us all of them and we'll give you Donovan Mitchell. Leon Rose uh, uh, wisely, I think we'd all agree, had a breaking point and said, no, 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 this is too much. We're not going to get screwed over. We're not taking that deal. But it leaves the New York Knicks. Even, even if that trade would have been bad, you would know the direction that they're going. Instead, they're, they're still caught in like the middle of a Chinese finger trap, right? They're They're, they're still in that... Conundrum: Do we lean into the youth? Do we keep trying to strike this balance of of adding vets and, and maybe even playing them over the young guys if we can win more today? And we still have Tom Thibodeau, and, and all he wants to do is win. He's not going to play Cam Reddish for the sake of improving him as an asset, or, or I don't know, seeing if he could be a key part of this team for the next couple of seasons. So, what are we doing? Who are we? Where are we going forward? That 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 is the heart of this question.
0: Yeah, I think I I would maybe. I don't know. Like I don't look at things as being so morose at this moment. You know what I mean? I, I do think that actually weirdly by not making the Mitchell trade they have sort of confirmed for us what their identity is, which is now it's going to come down to so I think front office wise they've confirmed what their identity is on the court might be a different story and that's the unfortunate part of of how Tibbs coaches is he's going to have the guys that he trusts. And it's more than likely based off what we've seen in this last couple of years, that that's not going to include that core group of young players. And like, you can go back and, you know, if you're listening to this episode and you are more of our thoughts on that, like we've talked about it plenty over the summer, I would say probably the most in like our final Mitchell trade saga episode, but like that sort of hurt the Knicks in the, the Mitchell trade saga. I think that, these guys haven't been able to find consistent minutes and haven't been, you know, featured enough to really show another team like, Oh yeah. yeah. Like Emmanuel quickly might, uh, it's maybe not super likely, but he might have a superstar turn in him. Uh, which is what some teams will latch onto if they're looking for a centerpiece for a star is like the acknowledgement of, yes, I know that this probably won't be a star that I'm getting back, but it might be, even if there's a 25% chance that this guy that I get is a star, then that would be great. Um, so, you know, that that's I guess my only thing is we're going to see how it plays out on the court. But from a front office perspective, as far as like Leon Rose is concerned, and he sort of made some comments tonight on that. Like there was that little interview that got aired with Alan Hahn on MSG where he made some comments about the Mitchell saga and stuff like that. And he was very he was very vague about like the actual trade saga itself, which I don't blame him. He was like, it's tampering. I can't talk about stuff like that. Okay, yeah, I you know I respect that, but is what he was overall saying about the team in terms of like what their what their overall feeling is right now? I wouldn't expect him to say anything thing different necessarily, but he was speaking pretty highly of the depth that they've accumulated of the young players that they have on the team, saying that you know we feel great about this still, like we still signed Jalen Brunson. I don't think it should be overlooked that like Brunson is by far the best point guard the Knicks have signed or traded for since like Stefan Marbury, Um which is both really sad for the, the past 20 years of Knicks basketball, but also a thing to really be like celebrated and look forward to. So I think they've, and, but you know, Brunson is like maybe slightly further along on his career trajectory than RJ Barrett, uh, you know, Quentin Grimes, Obi hopping only marginally age wise, at least. Um, you know, Mitchell Robinson, those guys, but he's not so far beyond them that, you know, it makes you say like, oh, what are they signing this guy for? Some like 31-year-old veteran who's going to just eat minutes and not do anything for this team like three years from now. Um, Which, you know, you maybe could have fairly or unfairly said about like Alec Burks or Reggie Bullock or, you know, guys like that, that ultimately, you know, were not part of the long-term plans of the team and the team eventually moved on from. Probably say the same thing about Evan Fournier as well. To a degree, though, I think the Knicks viewed themselves to be in a different stratosphere last last offseason, as did we all, than this offseason. So anyway, that's sort of a long winded way of saying, like, I don't necessarily think that they have an identity crisis right now. I think that they just kind of are. They're in a place where they they sort of drew their line in the sand of what they'd be willing to pay for a player like Donovan Mitchell. Maybe if a better player than Donovan Mitchell comes along at some point that they're able to trade for, they'll up that asking price to be more what Donovan Mitchell wound up getting. Uh, I don't know who that star would be. Maybe it's like Shea Gilgis Alexander, who, depending on how you feel about him, like I would probably say I I would value him slightly higher than Mitchell just based off age and everything else. But maybe that's who they go for. I don't know what the answer is there, but I I do think that they, they did do a pretty good job, at least in the end that alleged offer notwithstanding from the beginning of the summer that was apparently RJ Barrett Mitchell Robinson and like three first round picks or whatever yeah. um that notwithstanding i think that they've kind of set a good precedent for what it is that they want to do right now
1: yeah i want to i want to continue that conversation because i, I still think there are Steps that have to be taken in terms of clarifying that identity. If you listen to this podcast, you might know what those steps are going to be. But first, betonline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. You can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find, and as always, Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering info, with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Alex, the odds I have my eye on tonight are the Atlantic Division odds. The Boston Celtics are the heavy favorites, um, obviously with the news that Ime Udoka is suspended for the season. Robert Williams is going to be out for 8 to 12 weeks. I still see them being a really high-level playoff threat. I could see them blowing the Atlantic. The Brooklyn Nets and all their star power are next at plus 215. I have no faith in that team as a regular season unit. We'll see if they can get it together for the playoffs. The Philadelphia 76ers are where I would lay my money. A plus 325, so that is a fantastic deal that you can find on BetOnline. Head to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. And we are continuing this game, the big questions game. If you missed it, we have turned out four podcasts on this topic already. This, the fifth and final. Uh, we're going to talk RJ Barrett in a little bit, but Alex, I, I want to I finish this up. You were saying you think that the front office has defined an identity and it's on Tibbs to get on board. Do you think... That holds true even if they do not trade any of the 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 big three veterans: Evan Fournier, Derrick Rose, Julius Randle, before the season starts. I think it
0: depends on if they're willing to lay down the law with Tibbs. That's sort of like the next step, right? Like, I think they have the next step would be okay. I I could understand keeping Derrick Rose around. I mean, he's he seems to be a good veteran, you know, just for the kids. Like Emmanuel quickly respects the hell out of him, so just that alone would almost be enough to make me be like, if he's going to be good for quicks development, keep him around, but have a strict rule of like, this is your breaking case of emergency guy. You know, like, don't be playing him like 30 minutes anymore. You know, that's just not how it's going to work with Derrick Rose. Like he'll play, you know, if you want to get him five minutes here and there on a fully healthy day. Okay. But probably would prefer that you're soaking up all those point guard minutes between Jalen Brunson, who's probably going to get like 35 and Emmanuel quickly who will get like 13 plus some minutes at the 2 uh to hopefully get him up around like 25 minutes a game. So that would kind of be the first thing and then the uh the other thing would be like Randall I think you kind of have to get rid of if they go into the season and they haven't traded him which Ian Bagley reported uh this past week or during this past week that he thinks or he I won't say reported. He speculated, like he didn't say it was like sourced or anything. It was just a guess on his part, but he guessed there's probably about a 40% chance Julius gets traded before the season. Um, if they don't do that, I would just say they're probably just trying to resuscitate his value a little bit. You know, that maybe they went around the league and teams were trying to strong arm them and say, you know, we want a first round pick or something to take him off your hands. And the Knicks saying, No, we're not gonna do that. Like Julius play better. And if you really want out of here that bad, then we'll trade you once you earn your way out basically um as far as fournier i i think we've talked about this a couple times i mean i would not be totally off board if they kept fournier even if they went full youth movement like even if they got rid of rose and randall and they kept fournier i i just think it would be the same deal as with rose you have to just be like sorry dude we don't care what you're making but like we're gonna have you in a bench role and we want to feature rj grimes quickly even deuce mcbride a little bit you know we we want to maybe play you like 18 to 20 minutes a game. And you'll probably get a lot of backup minutes. And, you know, if that's not okay by him, then you work out a deal to to get Fournier out of town as well, around like the trade deadline. I'm sure he'll be fine with that if they send him to a contender, which I'm sure they would. Um, and then, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. It, it kind of comes down to like, if Tibbs is still going to be the coach, I think the front office just needs to put their foot down. I do think there is a scenario where more or less everyone, but Randall can still be around. And still focus on the youth and not have it be a huge deal. Uh, Randall's the only one that really stands out is like kind of got to trade him because there's just no path for Obi Toppin unless Julius Randall is gone. I don't think.
1: Yeah. I think, I think my fear is, does are we sure the front office wants to put their foot down or are we sure that them and Tibbs like aren't on the same page? Because if, if that's true, why wouldn't that have happened last season when you and I were coming on this show every single night and, uh, Pour, pour, pouring our little hearts out, uh, complaining about Emmanuel quickly and Ovi Top and not finding more time, particularly as as the alternatives, whether it was Kemba Walker or whether it was Alec Burks or whether it was, yeah, Julius. Like we're we're completely self-destructing. Um and maybe similar to what we've heard about Tibbs, like obviously we we, we always reference it. We got that report early in the offseason from Mark Berman that Tibbs regrets how he handled Ovi. We got a report just a week ago. Ian Begley put out a whole article. On um, how Emmanuel quickly has secured a bigger role next season, what that means, I don't know. He was he was, he was vague about it because he generally only goes with stuff when he's hundred percent sure, and this this is something you cannot possibly be a hundred percent sure about. Um, I just I think they actually they have to do it. I mean, to to what you're saying, like like I I need to see Randall dealt if nothing else. And to your point, I think the other guys are totally palatable. I, I can't imagine that Evan Fournier is going to be happy playing. Eighteen minutes a game, he's he's too good for that. I mean, we we keep saying it was one of the flat out one of the best shooters of the league. Um, could really help a bunch of teams around the NBA. Uh, so I think he would get dealt in that scenario. And I guess the other thing I'm left wondering is like, one is the front office content with not making the playoffs this year? Do they feel like their jobs are on the line if they if they if they're competitive but they miss the playoffs this year? Because I think that's a very reasonable outcome if they play the young guys. Another thing I wonder is if, I I don't think the whole front office would think this, but if some members of the front office are fearful that if they play the youth, they could potentially be one of the 10 worst teams in the NBA and they could win sub 30 games. I think we're on the same page and and most people who analyze this team are on the same page that no, the young guys are actually better than most of the people playing ahead of them. So they're, they're more likely to make the playoffs. They're more likely to be competitive if they play those guys. But if they don't, again, make those kind of trades. I wonder if they're with Tibbs and they're like, yeah, just to keep our jobs, we got to make this look as good as possible. We got to win as many games as possible. We have to show definitive progress from last season. To me, progress means that the young guys improve and 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 that's pretty much it. And honestly, I I want this team to have as high of a draft pick as humanly possible next year. As long as that, I mean, the the issue with that is the only way that happens is if there are injuries or if guys stall out, which, which I don't want. So conflicting opinions on my end, but, The whole point that we've been making for month after month after month is prioritizing the young guys. And I honestly, I think we'll know in the next three weeks if that's the case. Because if Julius Randle comes on this team or is still on this team and game one or game two is out there playing 38 minutes a game, I kind of think we'll have our answer.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I think you're probably right. I will just say my last last little thought on this, uh, sort of reacting to what you said. I, I do think... It would be an easy I don't think that their jobs are on the line this year, like the Leon Rose regime, unless unless things go like they would have to go fully off the rails, like personnel and media wise, like messy locker room type stuff wise, for this to fully like derail this year, I feel like, because and like potentially losing their jobs. Cause I think pretty easily if they did play the youth and ended up a top ten worst team, all Leon Rose has to do is show Dolan some footage of women and, and like even the biggest ignoramus on the planet can watch a seven foot five guy doing the stuff that he's doing in the French league right now that I'm seeing highlights pop up of every day and look at that and be like, all right, yeah, this is worth losing for a year for, you know, and taking that lottery ticket uh, and seeing if we can get this guy or scoot Henderson or, you know, the Thompson twins or whoever it is that is your favorite, you know, prospect in this like super stacked lottery of an upcoming draft with like seven or eight players that all look like they could be potential franchise alterers. So I I will say, I think that, you know, if it comes down to it and like the youth would play and they win like 28 games or something, I think Leon would have an easy sell. The only way that I think things would really, the the seat would get a little hot for Leon would be if like, now the locker rooms are going to be reopened again to the press and stuff like that. Like if stuff starts coming out, like that's super messy and and you know is painting a picture of like wide ranging organizational dysfunction, which I think has been the one one of the main things that the Leon Rose regime has really tried to distance themselves from of Nick's past is like not being dysfunctional. And I think they've done a great job, to be clear. If stuff starts coming out that makes it seem like the team is kind of falling apart, that might be the thing that gets that ruffles Dolan's feathers, more so than just straight up losing games, because Dolan clearly wants to distance himself and the team from that perception as well. So I think that would be the thing that would kind of put Leon Rose's job on the line. And maybe that's sort of the, the last thing here to consider for direction of the team is, is Leon cognizant of the fact that if you keep a Julius Randall and he starts acting the way that he was last year towards the end of the year, and then gets a hot mic in front of him a few times, you know, after a game with minimal supervision from the team, like, how is that going to play out, and what sort of stuff might he say to the the press or whatever? What might he start, or he or anyone? I mean, it could be him, or it could be someone that's just not happy with how Julius is acting. If he's acting out again like last year, if that starts getting out, then what do things look like, you yeah. know, for the for the Knicks and and for you know the potential job security
1: of Leon Rose? Yeah, it's a it's a great point. Uh, I think we will take one final break. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about our guy, uh, RJ Barrett and that next on Locked on Knicks. All right, we're back. Uh, One final big question and it's an obvious one, but it's one that definitely has to be asked. How good is the Alex? Because I don't know how good the New York Knicks think he is. They clearly, I think stated in some of the offers that were out there. I mean, whether let's just let's just throw the first one out the window right like the the crazy one the one with Mitchell Robinson I think Obi Toppin was in some iteration of that three first round picks let's pretend that that is a work of fiction and just say the offer was R.J. Barrett uh, Emmanuel quickly two first round picks and then a, a highly protected either third Knicks pick or that top five protected Bucks pick to me that says that the team is confident somewhere in like the 80th percentile range, like 80 percent chance, maybe 90 percent chance. I would even, I'll, I'll throw it at 90. That RJ Barrett is never going to be as good as Donovan Mitchell. And to be clear, I don't necessarily agree with that. I would say Mitchell is clearly on the better trajectory of the two. But when we're talking about the guy you're building the franchise around, you want to, you want to hope, right, that he is going to at least be Donovan Mitchell, who is a fantastic player but has never made an All NBA team. And I don't know if the New York Knicks think that RJ is that guy. I'm not saying I'm totally sold that he's that guy, but man, after how he finished last season, like it's hard to put a cap on just how good he could potentially be down the road. So I'll I'll throw that your way, Alex. What what do you think we get from RJ Barrett this season and beyond?
0: I'll throw one other quick Mitchell stat out there too, right? A guy who played with a multi-time defensive player of the year for a number of years, but never made it past the second round either. Uh, Another... Thing to consider there uh so yeah i mean i i think i think the knicks maybe were willing to deal rj i i haven't been able to shake the feeling that i feel like that deal that was reported that they allegedly offered the huge one with rj and mitchell robinson and like the three first round picks and ob or whatever it was like i can't shake the feeling that that had to have come from somewhere else than the knicks and that that probably didn't happen Because it just seems like based off what the asking price was that we knew or thought we knew towards when Mitchell actually got traded, like it it was much less than that. It was like the Knicks were reluctant to even offer a third unprotected pick, especially if they were giving up like Quentin Grimes, who I, I don't know. I mean, based off the reporting, it almost seems like the Knicks think is better than R.J. Barrett. But real world, real life eye test pretty easily disproves that um you know and that feels like it was all just posturing too to try to maybe drive Grimes's value up to eventually get a deal done i don't know it so as far as like what they think of him i'm unsure i i think ultimately though money talks so the fact that they eventually gave him the deal regardless of what the circumstances were around it shows that they were comfortable with paying him a somewhat near max salary i mean it's not it's not what zion or ja or uh or um, uh, Garland got, but I mean, he still got a $30 million plus a year contract. He will be barring some other player being traded for or uh, signing with the team. He will be the highest paid player on the Knicks by this time next year over, even if Julius Randall's still on the team and Jalen Brunson, like he'll be the highest paid player on the Knicks. I think they pretty clearly believe in him as a future number one option. And I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again, because I know not everybody listens to every show, but like the biggest thing for me with the Knicks and whether they believe in RJ or not is the fact that they were willing to absorb the impact of what they had to have known was a powder keg with Julius at the end of the year with blatantly deciding to feature RJ Barrett which that was probably a directive from the front office to Tibbs because I I feel pretty certain Tibbs by himself would have never just decided to do that. Um, But featuring RJ down the stretch on offense and really getting a good look at what it could look like if he's running uh, things and being like the primary scoring option. And I think it worked out great. I mean, we saw down the stretch efficiency hurt a little bit, but for a large stretch of the last part of the season, he was averaging like 25 points per game, which eventually pushed his season average over 20. So... Yeah, I uh, I feel like the organization believes in him. As far as what I think, I it's still difficult to say, right? It because it's hard to it's hard to put a ceiling on him because I feel like every year he's kind of surprised us a little bit. Um, so I feel very comfortable saying his floor is probably what he was in like twenty twenty one, which if that's where he eventually settles into, he would fall sort of in that like. Andrew Wiggins-esque category as he gets later in his career, I feel like, where he would just be, like, a really good role player that, especially if he didn't have to have the ball in his hands all the time, could definitely hit, like, spot-up shots, could make cuts to the hoop, could, you know, play really good defense on, on, you know, the defensive end and is big for his position, or at least, like, very strong, so can sort of play up or down a position and, uh, you know, get lots of rebounds, stuff like that. Uh, maybe without the, the freak athleticism of a Wiggins, but certainly with more foul drawing acumen, I think, than Wiggins. So yeah. I think that's like his floor. Ceiling wise, I still, I always gravitate towards like a Jimmy Butler type. I just think, especially what we saw down the stretch of last season, the foul drawing was really eye opening. Like he finally started getting a whistle, and that made all the difference because for his first two years of his rookie deal, he was getting inside, but he just, you know, because he was so strong, he wasn't good at like selling contact. You know, he was just kind of going in and putting his shoulder down and then trying to power through for the layup and not flailing, not selling the contact, you know, not doing the, ah, you know, acting like he just got shot Um, all that stuff. And not that he really amped up all that that much, but he started doing just enough to get refs to notice and was, you know, again, I, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but like top five in free throws drawn after the all-star break last year, or perhaps even in all of 2022 once the calendar turned over. So, I mean, I, I think that I still feel confident saying that sort of, that's like my sky's the limit sort of comp for him. And if that means that he's a top 20 player, even by like the end of this rookie extension, I think it's money well spent because, you know, a top 20 player generally fetches a full max. So if he gets anywhere near that, if he even becomes, I mean, we just talked about that ESPN list yesterday, right? Like he was top 63 this year. If he next year on, you know, is conventionally considered to be like top 45, top 40. I I think he's already earning his contract. And then some, because there's plenty of guys in that general tier that make max money or right next to max money, because that's just what players are worth in today's NBA. And like the true max max players play for way less than what their actual value is to a team. Whereas the actual max contract players are like those second and third stars on a team that, uh, you know, are the guys that are the difference makers of like, can you, can you take that, that big one, a superstar and build around him enough to actually win something? Those are the guys like that make the money that RJ makes. And if he becomes like a top 40 or so player, I think he's well worth the contract. And I think that would be a great
1: outcome for his career to me. Sorry for no. rambling. That was no. like two
0: points in one. <laughs> no,
1: you're good. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up by saying a uh, borrowing a point from uh Nick film school. Who did a pot on a similar topic. He, he needs to be in the all-star conversation this year. That, that is, that is the metric for a successful season for me, for him. Um, that means uh, not getting off to the slow start that he has the, the last two years coming out of the gates, blazing, putting up, I don't know, like 24 to 26 points per game, eight rebounds, five or six assists. And, um, in terms of actual skill development, I've, I've, I've referenced it before, but the biggest thing is the, is the playmaking for me. I think again, with, with better, with better context, and that means like a little, little more shooting on the floor and, and savvier teammates and and better passing teammates, all, all that you could sum up in one thing, no Julius Randall, if I haven't made that clear enough, um. I, I think his finishing at the rim will get better. I think his three-point shooting will naturally get better. I think he'll continue to get more comfortable and get easier looks in terms of off-the-dribble mid-range game. The playmaking is, is the thing that I think is just on RJ. And obviously, again, having better teammates and having a more well-spaced court makes playmaking that much easier. But I think it's one of the single hardest shifts um, to make as as a basketball player on any level. And it's, it's something that I think often gets... Under, um, under measured um, or underestimated, I guess is the way to say that um, in prospects is a guy who has just been shoot first their whole life and has a lot of skill as a passer, but has just always had that that confidence in themselves, or, or maybe at times it's like a lack of vision, but I, I usually think it, it really is just confidence that them taking a hard shot is better than any of their teammates taking a very good look. And honestly, that was that was one of the big flaws in Donovan Mitchell's game. If he's any flaw offensively, that's what it is. Because that guy's capable of making spectacular passes. He is just unwilling to make really simple ones and really smart ones at times. He has so much confidence in his own ability to score. We saw that a lot from RJ last year. We, we've seen it throughout his whole career. He has to start putting a lot of faith in his teammates, making the simple passes, not looking guys off who are wide open in the corner to take a double pump layup over two players. That very simple step, even if at times it results in him scoring less points or having a little bit less counting stats, because it just ends being a hockey assist. To me, that, that, that is how he can impact winning in a different way. And, and he has to bring it as a two way guy every single night. I, I think last season, to be fair, like he had that stomach virus earlier in the year, and then he wasn't expecting, like Julius was supposed to be that guy in midseason. He was like, nope, RJ, your time's come early. You got to be the dude. And he, I don't think he was ready from a cardiovascular perspective to every single night, attack the basket 10, 12 times a game. Not that, or draw 8, 10, 12 free throws a game, I should say. Attack the basket 40 times a game. And on the other end, lock up the best swing on the other team. He got the contract. He was the number three pick. It, it's time for all of that and more. And uh, Alex, I'll, I'll leave it to you. Do you have a final point on all that? Or you want to wrap this up?
0: Yeah, I I pretty much agree with all of it. You know, I do think he needs to show improvement. I do think if he puts himself in the all-star conversation or at least is adjacent to it this year, you know, maybe to your point, finally doesn't start a year off slow. I think that that would be a huge thing for him uh to show like yes, I'm ready to rock like right now and and you know, there's not going to be any build up, there's not going to be any one month that you have to write off at the end of the year to prove how good I was this year. I'm just going to be good from start to finish. Um, it'll be a big prove it year for him. And I, so far I have no reason to think that he won't because he's given us no reason to think he won't. So uh, until proven otherwise, that the one thing that will never ever be under any scrutiny is RJ's work ethic and his ability to get better. Because I think that every single year that he's been in the league, he's, I mean, he did it right from the second he stepped on an NBA court. He showed us things that we never thought that we were gonna see out of him. Like the amazing passing. I, I still to this day think about I feel like a I feel like a like a parent reminiscing about like something they did <laughs> when they were little, but like yeah. I still think about that pass that he made like game one or game two of his rookie year, where he was crashing on a loose ball to the sideline and grabbed the ball and in a split second while basically falling out of bounds managed to whip it around his defender uh, that was standing in front of him that was also going for the same loose ball and hit it perfectly in stride to Julius Randle, who started sprinting towards the hoop uh, the other way. I mean, it's just stuff like that. You you see those little flashes from RJ all throughout his career, but he's done a really good job, I think, of fine-tuning those flashes and turning them into consistent things. Hopefully the thing this year is turning the flash of being the the primary offensive option on the team last year into a consistent thing where to your point he's more prepared from a mental and a and a physical standpoint to be giving his all on that end and being the engine every single night, absorbing all that contact and everything else and not letting it affect anything else in his game and also not letting it affect his uh his efficiency and stuff either. So lots of stuff to watch for RJ. But again, to proven otherwise, I don't think either of us have any reason to doubt him nor should anyone in the fan base. Cause it's just kind of like doubt him at your own risk at this point. Yeah, Cause he's, he's consistently proven us wrong all the way back to when we thought we just talked about this uh, with a forthcoming episode about preconceived notions about uh, Obi Toppin that we'll talk about on Monday when we have a really cool guest, but like we had preconceived notions about RJ Barrett too, about him being too selfish or not playing a defense or this, that the other. And he's proven every single one of those wrong and more so. I very much look forward to him proving us wrong again this upcoming season, even if we're not actively opposing him anymore. <laughs> so anyway, that's it for this episode of locked on Knicks. Thank you all for listening this week to our 10 big questions. Of course, if you didn't catch the other three parts of this, go back and check those out. This was a, the fourth part. We also broke down the ESPN 100 uh, yesterday or two days ago, I guess now, and where all the Knicks ranked on that. So check that episode out as well. And as I said, uh, you know what, we could just drop the, should we just, should we just say who the guest is going to be on Monday? We actually yeah, recorded it's, it already. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's a re- also, especially because we promised that the guest would be today. So that is, uh, we, we had a delay recording, so we pushed it back to Monday, but uh, yeah, it's uh it's Dayton associate uh, head coach, uh, Ricardo Greer. That's, that's your reward for making it 40 minutes in. You're welcome. Everybody. Uh, really cool episode. Uh, we, we, we dive deep on, on everything. I'll be topping with him. Yeah.
0: We're, we're dying to get that one to you guys. So that's coming on Monday. So if you made it this far, congrats. You got the teaser. You, you got to see the post credit scene and know what's, what's coming on Monday. But until yeah. next time, thank you all for listening. Talk to you all soon. Peace out.